Welcome to the Mighty Rip Podcast, hosted by Dave DeBah. As always, the Mighty Rip Podcast is coming to you live from the super plush Mighty Rip Broadcast Studios in the heart of Silicon Valley. Now, to the host that can't stop ripping on players, coaches, and bad front office management, Dave DeBah. Coming up on the Mighty Rip Pod, we've got the rumor of the year in the National Football League, which involves OBJ, Tinder, and the Minnesota Vikings. Plus, I will tell you why Joe Burrow is not, is not a better National Football League prospect than Tua, the left-hand genius. All of that, and trust me, a whole lot more coming up on the Mighty Rip Pod today. But... We begin with with the Minnesota Vikings, OBJ, Tinder, and of course, the Cleveland Browns. Now look, there's a lot to unpack here. You've got the Ringling Brothers Circus of an organization that is the Cleveland Browns on one side. You've got OBJ sort of in the middle, and then you have the well-run, seemingly always at least in playoff contention organization of the Minnesota Vikings on the other side of the fence. And then you've got OBJ sitting there in the middle. We're we're going to talk extensively about the Cleveland Browns organization and, and why it's a circus in a little bit. We're also going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings and why it's a well-run organization and why it's actually a really good fit for OBJ from that perspective. But from OBJ's perspective, too bad it's not in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. So there's a lot going on. I think this deal, if it's true, a second and third round pick in 2021 to Cleveland and OBJ going to Minnesota is a win for everybody involved. It's a win for the agent. It's a win for the fans of the Vikings. It's a win for the Cleveland Browns organization. Not that they know what to do with draft picks anyways, but at least on paper, <laughs> it's a win for the Cleveland Browns organization. So for OBJ, who let's face it, is a coast guy. He's a left coast, right coast kind of guy. OBJ wants to hang out at the new Studio 57. I mean, I know we're in an era of social distancing and going to clubs and bars and stuff like that isn't going to happen for a very long time. That doesn't mean OBJ doesn't like the coast. <laughs> he certainly seemed to enjoy himself in New York, and I know he's got several properties in Hollywood and throughout the Los Angeles vicinity. I know that because, well, I know. <laughs> I mean, we all know OBJ lives in um, lives in Los Angeles. So, um you know, of course, he would rather be with a team in L.A. if possible, preferably the Rams, not the Chargers. But that doesn't appear to be part of the um, the deal. Now, OBJ, who historically has been a little bit of a problem child inside a locker room, he requires an organization that has something that is called discipline. It's something that the Cleveland Browns simply don't believe in. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I think if you if you're in a if you're in the headquarters of the Cleveland Browns and you're able to find an actual dictionary, the entire 
The entire, every word in the dictionary that starts with the letter D, including defense, is gone. <laughs> it doesn't exist in the Cleveland Brown Dictionary. No Ds in Cleveland at all. So they don't believe in discipline. Uh, they've certainly had a hard time believing in defense over the years, though they do have a nice young defense. I'll give them some credit for that uh, this time around. Look, when OBJ was traded to the Cleveland Browns, I've got a buddy. I seem to have buddies who are fans of every team in the National You get enough buddies and you eventually you've got, a fan, you've got a buddy who's a fan of every team in the National Football League. You live long enough, that's what happens. So I've got a buddy who's a huge Cleveland Browns fan. The trade went down. <laughs> I knew I had to contact this guy. I knew I had to contact this guy because I knew he was going to be unbelievably myopic about his belief about the Cleveland Browns, how they had suddenly turned the corner. <laughs> like he'd already burned all of his Johnny Manziel stuff. It is gone. It had gotten rid of it from his, uh, if you will, Cleveland Browns man cave. <laughs> the Johnny Manziel stuff out the door. In came all of the Baker Mayfield stuff. I mean, it was like the 10th time in the last 10 years that this guy has had to go out and buy a new quarterback jersey. <laughs> not to mention, not to mention the horrifically run front office of the Cleveland Browns the horrifically run head coaches of recent memory, which includes Freddie Kitchens, and the horrible run management of the ownership group of the Cleveland Browns that continues to search for ways to do things differently in the National Football League. They are literally trying to reinvent how football is, how a football team is actually put together, which is interesting because they are continually reinventing themselves and nothing ever works. That is the story of this Cleveland Browns organization. And it's been like that basically since Jim Brown has left. Look, there's some some uh, Brian Sipe years there, some Bernie Kosar years there, and then the rest has just been absolutely horrific. If you're a Browns fan, in your man cave, you have several... <laughs> several uh, several um, grocery store trash bags. I'm not talking about the new modern day plastic ones. I'm not talking about the reusable the reusable ones that um, your wife makes you take now when you go to the grocery store. I'm talking about the classic <laughs> the, the classic cardboard looking um, uh, uh, bags that the Cleveland Browns would put over their heads and cut the eyes out. Heck, things got so bad that there were Cleveland Browns fans that would actually, when they would go to a game, they would actually draw the eyes, but not actually cut them out. So they'd be sitting in the stands with the with a trash bag over their heads, not watching anything. <laughs> That's how bad this Cleveland Browns organization has been over the years. So when this trade came down, when this trade came down, I reached out to my buddy. My buddy was just like, he was, he was off the wall. He was talking. He was crazy. I thought maybe he needed to be committed. He was talking Super Bowl. He was talking about taking a trip to the Super Bowl. He was talking about booking flights to Miami. I quickly reminded him that the Cleveland Browns hadn't been to the playoffs in forever. <laughs> I, I love using that line because it's, it's from Frozen. My kids love that movie. 
So they haven't been been to the Super Bowl in forever. And he thinks because they traded for OBJ that they were suddenly over the top. Like they were suddenly going to run. They were going to run the AFC. They were suddenly going to miraculously be something that they had not been. Look, I'm amazed they won as many games as they did under the lack of leadership of Freddie Kitchens. That just goes to show you that sometimes when you get really good players, you can still put together, I don't know, a good five or six wins in the National Football League, regardless of how bad the coaching is. So so OBJ gets traded. My buddy's booking a trip to Miami. And I'm thinking, this guy's got to be committed. And I'm thinking, there's just no chance in hell that OBJ is actually going to work in Cleveland unless they actually reinsert all the words from the dictionary that start with the letter D. (laughs) Because there's just no discipline there. OBJ is a kind of player that uh, is not a problem. He wasn't a problem at LSU. He wasn't really a problem with the Giants when Tom Coughlin was there. He was not a problem. He was um, a a bit of a head case in in the locker room, but that's to be expected for any great wide receiver in the National Football League that is always open. Look, I don't know where Randy Moss is today, but he's open right now. I guarantee it. (laughs) Jerry Rice, wide open. He's just like, he's probably social distancing right now in front of Joe Montana's house saying, pass me the ball. So, um, so, you know, every great wide receiver thinks that they're, they're open. And that's just, that's the nature of the position. That's what you'd expect. I mean, look, you don't want your linebackers to be nice guys, do you? <laughs> you want your linebackers killing. I mean, not actually killing, but you want them attacking and being tough guys, at least while they're on the field. That's what you want from them. It's just, it blows me away that that anybody in their right mind thought that OBJ to Cleveland was going to somehow result even in a playoff appearance for the Cleveland Browns. I said it last year and throughout this past National Football League season, I've just been standing back chuckling, talking about how bad this deal was for everybody involved. Poor OBJ is what I came up with. I felt bad for OBJ because there was no way he was going to be successful when Freddie Kitchens was the head coach of that team. It wasn't going to happen. Plus, Baker Mayfield, I don't know, guys. I, I got to tell you, Mr. Dink and Dunk, he, he just might be a really nice dink and dunk backup quarterback for any other team in the National Football League other than the Cleveland Browns. That really might be what Baker Mayfield is. I mean, I hope he's more than that. I love his uh, bravada. Uh, you got to love how Baker is. Ba- like, I'm pulling for Baker. I, I'm, I'm actually pulling for Baker. But like OBJ, I'm starting to think that Baker cannot be successful in Cleveland. I don't care. Like if there's one position in the National Football League, which is quarterback, that's the one position that could actually salvage a franchise. That is one position that can turn a Cleveland Browns bad fortune into actual good fortune. Like eventually, right, just statistically, just using the stats, just statistically, eventually the Cleveland Browns 
are bound to get one of these high quarterback draft picks right, aren't they? <laughs> like, like eventually, the when you're in Vegas and you're playing roulette, eventually it lands on red. It's like eventually going to happen, but it just never happens for Cleveland. So I hope I hope uh, things turn around. So look, the deal with OBJ and Cleveland never going to turn in a, into anything great. And it's obvious that it hasn't. Look, there's been rumors for six months that OBJ wanted out of Cleveland. Um, you know, he's been really good publicly. Um, the Cleveland Browns have been good publicly. I don't know uh, as of um, 10 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time <laughs> on April 15th, the former tax day, which has now been pushed into, I think, July. Um, you know, if this trade is really going to happen. It is possible that we're going to start the season and OBJ is still going to be a member of the Cleveland Browns. But for this particular rumor, um, I, I, I think it was worth doing a story on this. Now, it, it makes sense for the Vikings to acquire OBJ. Now, there's, there's a lot that would need to happen for the Minnesota Vikings to actually make this work from a salary cap perspective. So, like, you're going to hear this rumor all over the place. You're going to see people posting this everywhere. And talking about it until it actually either happens or doesn't happen. Until there's a definitive yes or no. <laughs> not not a Dak Prescott wishy-washy, we're going to give him a big contract, then we franchise tag him, and then we keep everybody hostage in North America, Jerry Jones-style story. That's not what this is going to be. This is really going to be just about whether or not the actual deal goes through. So assuming the deal goes through, the Minnesota Vikings are actually the opposite of the Cleveland Browns. The Vikings are a well-run organization, and basically they have been a well-run organization for almost the entirety of the franchise's existence. Like, they're proud in Minnesota, not of their Super Bowl wins because they don't have any, but they're proud of their playoff appearance signs. <laughs> like the Vikings seem like they're always in and out of the playoffs. Like they might have a bad season, but they almost always rebound. And teams can do that in the National Football League when the organizations are well are run well. And be, running a good National Football League organization is difficult. It's not just what's going to happen next uh, next Thursday night during the National Football League draft. It's what happens when your kicker goes down. It's what happens when you need a offensive lineman in the middle of the season. Hell, it's what happens when you need three offensive linemen in the middle of week eight, and you got to bring them in. You've got to have a good organization in place, and that's why the good organizations seem to always be in and around the playoffs in the National Football League. Look, the Vikings haven't put it all together where they actually won a Super Bowl, but from a... Uh, uh, a National Football League respect standpoint, everybody respects Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings. They all know that Rick Spielman's done a good job as the general manager of the Vikes. Like, like everybody knows that they've got a strong ownership group, a beautiful stadium that they're playing in, and a lot of good talent on the team. They've they've tried to get a little younger in this offseason by letting some of their older, previous great talent go. Um, they did, uh, they made a trade. They let Stefan Diggs go, who was clearly wanted to leave for whatever reason. Uh, Stefan Diggs wanted out fine. 
So would this be a good fit for OBJ? And the answer is absolutely, hell yes, it would be. Would Kirk Cousins benefit from having OBJ stretch the field the way OBJ can? The answer is absolutely. Look, OBJ is a different kind of wide receiver than Stefan Diggs. They already have a Stefan Diggs-style wide receiver sitting there in Minnesota already in Adam Thielen. But you bring in a guy like OBJ, who does some things like Randy Moss, can stretch the field in a different way than Stefan Diggs ever did in Minnesota. Not knocking Stefan Diggs. He is a hell of a football player, great wide receiver, just a different type of wide receiver. And I think maybe with the way the team is set up this year in the running game, that the Vikings have put in place with Dalvin Cook and the other backup running backs that they have, they're really just, at least on paper, a piece away from winning maybe two <laughs> two playoff games next year. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to the Super Bowl, but they'd certainly be in a far better position with OBJ than if they didn't have him on their team. As for OBJ, look, coast here, coast there. He's hanging out in Hollywood all the time. He's a Los Angeles guy. We know that OBJ would love to just stay in Los Angeles and play there, but that's not going to happen. So if this trade actually goes through, he'll get discipline that he needs. He responds to that. He doesn't respond to playing for an organization, which is which really just resembles the Ringling Brothers Circus, which I think went out of business like 10 years ago. But the... The Cleveland Browns organization is nothing but a dysfunctional circus, which is so ironic in so many ways. All right. Um, so moving on to um, the left-hand genius of Tua. Now, if you haven't had a chance, uh, you should definitely check out our big, um, and a shameless plug time, <laughs> you should check out our big Mighty.Rip website. That's Mighty.Rip. Uh, that is the uh, actual URL. So do check it out. We've got a story on uh, on Tua. And um, and I was seeing all this media coverage over the last couple months on Tua. And I was watching all this talk about Joe Burrow. And I, I've been following both college football and the National Football League for a very, very long time. And I can tell you that Joe Burrow had an absolutely fantastic season. We all know that. Like, I'm not trying to take anything away from Joe Burrow here. What I am going to say, though, is going to piss off a lot of LSU fans, which is if you're coming at this from a National Football League player perspective, who is potentially going to be a better National Football League player at quarterback, Joe Burrow or Tua. And you would think that it would be close. You would think like it would be A and then A minus. <laughs> like 1A and 1A minus. Like you would think that it would be close. But I encourage everybody out there to do what I did over the last couple of days. I went out and I watched video. I watched a ton of video of Tua. I watched a ton of video of Burrow. I looked at the stats and, and I analyzed it. I'm not just speaking out of my, well, you know, I'm not. I, like, like, I went back and I really looked at it. And, and um, you know, Joe Burrow was in a, um, what, can I, what it can best be described as a, a spread offense. 
um, in college. I mean, like in the National Football League, the, the defensive coordinators would look at that and say, "Oh, you guys are you guys are running a spread offense." But it was uh, a variation of that spread offense, and was based on um, sort of a quick release concept. And and so basically, um, you spread the field out and you make your decisions almost before the the ball's even stabbed. Burrow knows where he's going to go with the ball, even if it's not going to his first option of that play. That's that's how good of a reader of defenses Joe Burrow had become in this spread offense at LSU. Like, did you ever see him <laughs> underneath the center? I'm just saying. Like, it just didn't happen. So Joe Burrow was, you know, he caught lightning. He played in an offense. He played against defensive coordinators who couldn't figure out how to stop the spread. Now, let me ask you this. If they ran the same exact offense in Cincinnati, where he's most likely going to be picked number one, is he going to be successful? Everybody out there knows the answer to that question. Like, I don't even have to sit here and use the, and say, no, he's not going to be successful because you know he's not going to be successful. So we, then we need to look at his arm strength and we need to look at what Joe Burrow really does well. Um, so does Joe Burrow throw a nice deep ball? Yes. Does Joe Burrow throw nice intermediate passes? Yes. Does Joe Burrow do a good job scrambling? Yeah, he does. Is Joe Burrow really a prototypical dink and dunk style quarterback in the National Football League? And unfortunately for Joe Burrow, the answer to that question is probably yes. Look, I hope Joe Burrow's successful in the National Football League. But if he goes number one to Cincinnati, he's most likely not going to be successful there. It's as plain and simple as that. If Tua were to go to Cincinnati, I would have a completely, a completely different opinion on it. Look, if Joe Burrow were to go to New England, I'd have a different opinion on how successful I thought Joe Burrow would be in the National Football League. But the way it's setting up with a week to go is that Joe Burrow is going to go to Cincinnati. And if you ask yourself, who would be better for the Cincinnati franchise, Joe Burrow or a guy like Tua? <laughs> I mean, literally, the answer is obvious when you watch the tape. Okay, so stats. Um, I try not to get too caught up in the world of statistics. I really try not to. I would much rather sit back and watch tape uh, because I think the tape says a lot. But the stats are important. So almost 4,000 yards passing in 2018, 43 touchdowns and six picks. This is, and then, and then last year, he only played in nine games, 28 over 2,800 yards passing, 33 TDs, and one, two, and three interceptions all season long. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is absolutely unbelievable what, what Tua did at Alabama during his career. Um, don't forget, and, and I think a lot of people sort of forget this, Tua came in as a redshirt freshman in a national championship football game and was asked to go in at halftime. He was asked to go in at halftime and win the game for Alabama, which he did with a 41-yard touchdown pass in overtime. And he was named the game's MVP, and he only played a half. <laughs> he only played in a single half. That's when the Tua legend was born. Look, Tua has that it factor. 
Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. I'm not sure Joe Burrow has enough of that it factor to be successful in Cincinnati. Burrow does not have what Tua has. It's plain and simple. The tape does not lie. I encourage you to go back and watch it. Tua, Tua, if I if I, statistically you'd say, okay, well, statistically, he's like one of the you know top 10 quarterbacks to come out of college football in the last 10 years. I think that's a fair statement when you look at Tua's stats. But when you watch the video and you come away from it, like I don't know what all of these National Football League general managers are actually watching. I don't know what these scouts are watching. Like, like he is by far the greatest quarterback in college football I think I've ever seen play. I mean, he he really is, and he only played in like uh, uh, he only played in like twenty four games. He was just absolutely unbelievable. I've never seen anybody do what Tua did in college football. And it's a, you know, it's a different game now than it was 10 years ago. It's a different game than it was 30 years ago. And it's certainly a different game than it was 100 years ago. But today's game, even in college, is so much faster than it used to be. And the offenses are significantly more complex. And it's not like Nick Saban is some sort of quarterback genius. Like, when was the last great Nick Saban quarterback in the National Football League? Like, can you even name one? I mean, I'm just saying, Nick Saban is not known for churning out quarterback. And here comes this kid, Tua, and who just does the opposite of that. Just pure, raw, unadulterated talent is Tua. Really, really, maybe the greatest college football player I think I've ever seen. I mean, that's how good, uh, that's how good Tua has been. So I started to wonder, well, what is going on? Like I'm seeing, you know, Mel Kuyper's drafts and I'm seeing, I'm seeing all these other um, uh, draft analysis is, you know, Tua slips and he keeps slipping and slipping and slipping. He's seven, he's eight, he's 10. He's like, he's all over the place. He's five, but he's not number one. And I'm like, why is this happening? Now we know he's got this hip injury. But a hip injury, honestly, not that big of a deal. Um, like it's it's healed nicely. Uh, he's rehabbing nicely. It honestly is not what people think. So I started to wonder, like, is it possible that all of the all of the GMs and all of the front offices in the National Football League just don't understand what a hip injury is really like? Like. We all know that, that front offices understand, yeah, MCLs, ACLs, <laughs> hamstrings, uh, uh, ankle sprains, high ankle sprains. Like we all know they understand all of those things, but understanding what a hip injury is, like that seems so unbelievably foreign to all of these National Football League general managers that I think that's what's turning them off from moving up to pick to a number one in the National Football League draft next Thursday, which is where he deserves to go. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for tuning in uh, to the Big Mighty Rip Pod. Uh, We'll be back with more Mighty Rip fun uh, a little later in the week. Do check out the BigMighty.Rip website. We've got some cool features up. Uh, We've got (laughs) the... 
NBA horse challenge feature. And I give you my five reasons why Mike Conley will win the crown. That's how sad things have gotten. (laughs) When one of our top stories on our website, like doing the best on our website, is five reasons why Mike Conley will win the crown. We've also got a Jose Canseco still bashing Alex Rodriguez story, uh, which is worth uh, reading. And uh, my personal favorite of all the new stuff that's been published in the last week, and there's been a lot of it, uh, a recap of the Tom Brady TB12 interview with, of course, the one and only Howard Stern. Oh, and I forgot, it's intervention time for the Texans' Bill O'Brien. All right, I got to get out of here. For the Mighty Rip Pod, I am Dave DeBaugh reminding you that sometimes players, coaches, and front office folks make horrifically bad decisions. Look, anybody in the National Football League who picks a quarterback, oh, hell it, who picks any player before Tua is going to have Aaron Rodgers regret. I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, and listen, it's our job as fans to set them straight.